What's poppin' everybody? This is Logan Murdoch from Real Ones, and I have some big news to share. On Saturday, February 18th, the Ringer NBA show will be hitting the road for All-Star Weekend for a live show in Salt Lake City. You heard that right. We are taping the pod in front of a live audience in Salt Lake next month, and we want you to join us. Pull up on us at the Stateroom in the heart of downtown Salt Lake. You can grab your tickets now at thestateroom.com. That's thestateroom.com. Doors open at 9 o'clock. Show is at 10. It's going to be a 21 and up event. Come hang with the gang and chat. Mid-season updates, draft preview, and even have a Q&A with us. Space is limited, so grab your tickets while they last at thestateroom.com or click the link in the description of this show. Hope to see y'all in there. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older. 18 and older in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyundai. Whether it's taking all your little ones to their sporting events or everybody getting together and taking a ride to the beach, the all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped for any adventure. With features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or... Standard third row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Learn more about the all new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome into The Answer. I'm Sirit Sohi. I'm joined, as always, by the sweetest sounds on the podcast airwaves, uh, Jake Heilman here to join us. James Kyle, man, here to talk about one LeBron James, uh, who is about to, who is, who's on the heels of breaking the scoring record. He is 117 points away. He is currently at 38,271 points, which is a number that I personally, am having a hard time wrapping my head around. Uh, Kyle, how about you? How you doing? I'm doing well. I mean, yeah, LeBron is, I know, I know we always say, like, you know, KOC has the, like, don't take LeBron for granted. He's just been in our lives for so long that maybe the magnitude of this, we, I almost feel like we need to do one of those cartoon, like, uh, 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 like, like, <laughs> like, snap out of it. Like, this is incredible. Like, what we're seeing is so incredible. And I guess to speak to you and to, to set up the pod today, to sort of piggyback off of what you said, um, we kind of want to examine that point total and just talk about how you get there. How do you do that? Because if you compare it with somebody like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who played in a different era, I brought this up in our NBA summit meeting back in like September. When, when was that? Time, time September 12th. Uh, Boom. I just, I just pulled a LeBron. <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> Get that memory. Quick, the recall. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Iman Shumpert made a back cut, blah, blah, blah. Um, I was talking about just how it was different. You know, Kareem had a different path. He played four years, but sat out his freshman year at UCLA, as you had to do back in those days, and then came in a little older and played a different thing, you know, and got his points in a different way. And I think today what we want to kind of dissect a little bit is just the timeline of, of the adjustments that LeBron made 
and the other factors that went into how we're at this point, uh, this far into his career. What year are we? Twenty? Or we're in? Uh, I mean, it's twenty twenty three. Another LeBron James moment. I just had. Yes. Yes. So we <laughs> we're trying we're trying to just sort of like get to the bottom of, of like how he got there and, and just shed some light on that. I guess. Yeah. It's honestly as as this. As he comes up on the frontier of this, of breaking the scoring record, uh, it is just incredibly difficult to capture the enormity of the moment that we're in. Uh, I think we all can feel it. You know, we can feel that there's this sense of, I feel at least like this simultaneous, I guess, gratitude to be able to experience this moment alongside also a reckoning with my own mortality. As you go back to these games, you remember where you were uh, when they happened and life was very different Then life was very different for all of us. I think that's the thing when you watch a player for so long like they grow up obviously but you are also growing up alongside them every time i think about luca's you know playoff performance or every time i think about uh steph dropping you know what 50 in the garden i just i just step back and i think about how i'm marching towards the grave that's what i think about um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you went really existential. We're not all ageless wonders like LeBron, unfortunately. Sure. We, I have, uh, I feel a lot, uh, you know, my, my ankles, my knees are not exactly where, where they used to be. But I also don't spend over, did you know that LeBron spends over a million years on his health, Kyle? Have you, a million dollars, dollars on his I health? Think I, I, saw that, that? I think I saw have that, tr- that trending on Twitter at one point. I, uh, mm-hmm. I, you know, you bring up a good point here is like milestones, like remember where you were type things. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask you, when do you, I mean, you, you're younger than me. You got into basketball in a different, we, we obviously had different lives that, that weren't exactly the same. And to say, put it mildly, I think that like, <laughs> she's laughing now. We are different people who have We're different, different experiences, people. different consciousness. Go from different worlds. Um, <laughs> when do you remember first becoming aware of LeBron? I, I like to, I like to ask oh. people these kinds of things. Well, I was I was aware of LeBron after he got into the league. Um, okay. okay. I didn't really I didn't watch basketball when I was super young. Um I I don't know, probably like 2005 or something, probably like playing the Pistons, I'd imagine. Yeah, yeah I think that's what it was. I think it was probably that like mm, actually no, I would say it was when he yeah, tw- 2005 that year, 2005-2006 probably when he first got into the playoffs. Okay. It's probably when I was first made aware of LeBron James. Got I didn't pay attention to anything going on in basketball. Um, until that point, usually. Yeah. We, we had this, our local paper when I was growing up was called the Spencer Magnet. Uh, if anybody really remotely gives a shit about that, if you were worried about the detail there. Um, well, there was this, like, we, we had this like AP thing that like this one guy wrote for a bunch of local papers and early hoops internet. That's how I would often find out names about things. But I remember, I remember when he was like a freshman or a sophomore, like St. Vincent, St. Mary. So this would have been like 2000, 2001. Um, I read something about, they were like, okay, Oak Hill Academy played St. Vincent, St. Mary's, which I used to like follow. Oak Hill was like the big thing. It was mm-hmm. the Montverde of the time. Like a lot of NBA players came through there. They're still good. They're still good mm-hmm. now. But uh, back then they were the show. And I remember they were like this Teen, this like 15, 14 year old scored like 35 on Oak Hill Academy, which is was definitely like a eyes emoji moment, like for uh, for the time. And so I remember thinking like, okay, seeing his name for the first time. And then it sort of evolved to the point where, I mean, he was the number one sophomore in his in his class. I sent you that like thing. Scoop, Scoop Jackson was a guy that wrote for Slam back in the day, and he wrote yeah. like prospect driven things. And then it, 
there was this documentary there that was about Lenny Cook at the time, and there was this moment. I think LeBron's first sort of like seismic this dude's here moment was when he beat Lenny Cook. Lenny Cook was like considered the top player in his class, and when LeBron James comes in and just smokes him in this ABCD camp moment, um, he puts himself on the radar. But then Rick Pitino was in this documentary saying like he was the best high school player he'd ever seen. So he was on the radar Firmly is what I was going to mm-hmm. say. And uh, so he had quite the reputation coming in. And I think that that speaks to how amazing this is, is that there were evaluators at that time saying, like, if everything goes right for this guy, if everything plays out correctly for this guy, he could be the best of all time, which is a fucking crazy thing to say about a 15-year-old. And to think that he did it, Sirit, like to think that he like absorbed that expectation mm-hmm. and prepared for it the entire way. Uh, is really, really remarkable. I really think he's like, Jordan didn't face that. The guys that came before him didn't face that in the social media era. I think that that, the gravity of that and the weight of that is really astounding, Mm -hmm. honestly. No one has faced that. I don't think anyone will face it afterwards because we also learned from LeBron James James experience that you might not necessarily want to do that to somebody. Uh, We just... I think we're we're different. I, like the social media landscape, like the media landscape in general has become a little bit more self-aware in that way too. Like, hey, what does it actually mean to put this Im- immense amount of pressure onto a teenager? Like we kind of think <laughs> about those things now. But, do, hey, you do, you think come of do you think we've come off of that? Do you want to think, do you think we've come off of that though? Do you think that like we've learned our lesson? I don't know. W- Wimby. I think some pl- eh, yeah. Maybe, maybe it's unavoidable. Maybe on some level it's unavoidable, right? But I, I would say, I think we're a little bit better about it now. I was going to say, I'm culpable. I, like, put in my video that, like, hey, Wimby has, like, gifts that no human has ever had. And that, like, he, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. I, I don't know that we've learned. I, maybe I'm, I haven't learned, I guess, maybe. that mm-hmm. Maybe like, we're both th- projecting. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what, I don't know what, I don't know what else you could do differently other than to say, like, this, this person could do it. Uh, but I'm, the point is that, like, once those expectations are set, you're going to criticize that person mm-hmm. upon those expectations for their whole career. So, like, if Wimby yeah. flames out, we're gonna we're gonna be like, man, he's not on pace. He's not on pace to do this or not on pace to do that. Yeah. Um, Which is exactly what we've done with LeBron. We continue to do with LeBron. Yeah, because um, he's invited it to, to, in our defense. But you were going to say something about when you first heard about him. I think that at the beginning of this. No, no, we. Could, I was going to move off of it, but since you gave gave me the. Uh, the segue here. You want to know how I first heard about Oak Hill? Yes, I'm dying to hear about this. Yes. There was an episode or a, a plot line in One Tree Hill. Did you watch One Tree Hill? <laughs> no. There was a plot line in One Tree Hill where Nathan, who was like this, he was this he was a high school basketball player. Um, the show was basically centered around his relationship with Lucas, his half brother. And Nathan was kind of like the guy who from like the, the more privileged side of the tracks, he actually grew up around his father, uh, who like pretty much didn't like act like Lucas, Lucas didn't exist until Lucas became a good basketball player. But his dad put this enormous amount of pressure on, on Nathan pretty much like throughout the entire show to like become an NBA player and maximize his career and all that stuff. And it was kind of about that father son relationship. And there was a moment where, because um, Nathan's dad, Dan was kind of feuding with the local high school coach about Nathan's role. Uh, he was threatening to send Nathan to Oak Hill. And that's oh. how I found out about Oak Hill. And Steve he, Smith he didn't go. Spoiler coached alert. him up right. Yeah. Uh, but it was it was an interesting moment in like the 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 journey of uh, a high school basketball prospect and having like the opportunity to, you know, 
in in a in a moment of adversity where you're not really seeing eye to eye with your coach, you have an opportunity to potentially jump ship and go somewhere else and be in this program where I don't know. I don't know how it would have gone for him. I don't don't know anything about Oak Hill or how things go, but I've heard things about how things used to go at Montverde, which I heard it's improved a lot in the last few oh. years, but things used to go very much in the side of the players at Montverde. Uh so yeah. you know, there's there's that it's 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 just, you know, it's that's probably the one thing that's very different about the the high school basketball environment now uh, than when LeBron was playing. I think LeBron was probably maybe the only player that would have that type of leverage in in his era. Um, but now that is very different. And I'm not even saying that to be like, oh, look at all these players now, all these things that they get to, like they get to shirk uh, accountability. Because I think when you're a teenager, anybody would, you know, look for the opportunity to do that. And it doesn't really end up serving them later on in their life. Uh, it's actually, it's actually quite unfortunate for them, even if it doesn't seem like that in the moment. Yeah. Speaking of uh, like high school basketball on shows, did you ever watch Hang Time on NBC? Did you ever see that show? No, Hang Time. Fred's for Hornet Leg. You watched Hang Time. Jump in here. Did you ever watch me and my friends at Hang Time? You never watched that? You know, you know, you never heard of that show? <laughs> you know what, Keep Kyle? I've, ne- I've never even heard of this show, but I do want to hear the rest of the theme yeah, song. I think, I think Hang maybe time. you keep singing and we'll all remember it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, it's like the, uh, the Lebowski and head in the toilet. Well, let me uh, give it, give it one more look. I, I think, um, Kobe Bryant had a had a cameo on that show, but it, it's it's absurd. I'm sure it's on YouTube where they would do these segments where they were clearly shooting on like Walmart adjustable goals, like in in some big space. It's it was a terrible show, uh, but the Kobe cameo is interesting. Anyway, okay. this is all digression about early LeBron. We were talking about when we we first saw him. I went to LeBron's fifth game in the league. I went mm-hmm. inside, drove up to when he came in the league. I was graduating high school. Uh, some girl came and was like, hey, do you want these Pacers tickets? Because she knew I was a miserable basketball fanatic. And we went. And LeBron had a big game. I mean, he was impactful from wait, moment wait, wait, wait. one. Hold but, up, hold up, hold uh, up. Before we get into the game. Before we get into the game. Some girl. No, she didn't go with me. I don't, I don't, I, I didn't, uh, I wasn't uh, Rizzy at that point in my life or at any <laughs> point, uh, Sarah. I know you You got that grin on your face. I think uh, I just went with a couple of my buddies. Uh and we had a great time. It was fun. You guys friends? Friendly. Yeah, friendly. Uh, right. Yeah, so I think she got it from her dad's work or something. But it amazed w me Riz. that like... W Riz for sure. Well, I don't know what that means. But I think we went and he had a big game. Sagana Jop had a basket. I think at the buzzer that oh, didn't wow. count. And the Pacers won. The Pacers were good back then. But you you actually dug in and you were watching LeBron's first, first game. What did you glean from that? Yeah, well, you know, I think trying to trying to capture all of this, I don't think that there's a better place that you can start but the start. Um, it's just it's it's just I don't know. Like it was first of all, it was 20 years ago. I think we just like I was looking at the date. It's October 29th, 2003. That was his rookie debut. What were you? How, how old were you? You're in high school. What were you like? What was what was Kyle like back then? 18, probably moody about something stupid, mm-hmm. I would say, uh, finishing my uh, ho-hum basketball career. I was laughing, too, that... Uh, trying to dunk a basketball, actually. Yeah, I was trying to... I was like, coming off screens and wearing a Hanes beefy tee, and, you, you know, if I missed the threes, I'd come out because I couldn't fucking guard anybody. Um, and I didn't understand at the time why my coaches were frustrated with me. I was just like, hey, man, I shoot 30% from three on... Five, you know, whatever. Uh, but I was laughing at that clip of Jabari Smith Jr. saying... You know, you played against my dad in your oh my in your rookie. Did you see yeah. that? Yeah, I found that hilarious. Yeah, 
yeah, it was really funny. Um, yeah, one of those one of those markers of time. But yes, this game, um, his rookie debut was against the Sacramento Kings at what was then the Arco Arena. Uh, another marker of, of, of time passed. Uh, and I actually didn't watch this game live. Uh, I was nine years old, so I was probably watching. I don't the know. Matrix I honestly don't know what I was something. doing at nine. Yeah. Yeah. I was probably like playing my guitar or something like that. I have no idea. It's probably just starting. Um, I don't think I even played basketball. And then I was like, I was like this soccer player that was like rebelling against my father who wanted me to be very, very good at soccer. Um, not, not too much in a, in a Dan Nathan way, but kind of in a Dan Nathan way. So, you know, we, we, we nipped that in the bud and I started playing basketball. Uh, but yes, well, let's talk about LeBron now. Let's talk about LeBron. Um, this was this was a fascinating game to go back and watch. I'd also I'd recommend anybody just as a basketball fan go back and watch this game. Uh, but the the biggest takeaways that I had from watching it were just that LeBron's game is essentially the same back then as as it was now. Like the the foundation had already been set. Uh, it was like a classic LeBron James stat line: twenty five points, I think nine rebounds and five assists, or it could have been nine. Uh, the rebounds and assists uh, flipped the other way. I I don't have in front of me anymore, but you guys get the point. Um, it was a very typical LeBron James performance, and we got that pretty much in his first uh, in his first game. His first play he ever made was an assist. Uh, very fitting, perfect, poetic. I might even say. Um, and the next three were baseline jumpers, and it was that classic LeBron James like turnaround lefty baseline jumper although he was kind of dribbling into them back then he didn't have a he didn't have yeah. a post-up game which we'll talk about later like he he developed all that stuff uh but that was a shot that i think i think that's a defining shot for lebron i think yeah. that's a very defining shot for lebron i think when i like when we talk about some of the moments later on like the celtics in 2012 uh just killing the raptors in 2018 and like all these other moments um that lefty baseline jumper is just maybe the most memorable non-dunk LeBron shot. And he's also crushing it in transition as well. And actually Greg Popovich was, was, uh, was, well, the Spurs were in, uh, were in LA uh, last week. And Pop mentioned something interesting. He said that still to this day, the most dangerous part of LeBron's game is transition. And we want like that game also featured his first transition dunk. And it was just so, I was talking to I was talking to my my friend Claire who uh, Claire M M L P S on on uh, on Twitter who is all, who is a musician who is also now starting to uh, to write about basketball stuff so you guys should check her out she's doing some really fun stuff but we were talking about how there is this murmur of anticipation every single time LeBron gets the ball in transition you know exactly what's about to happen like it's almost like we've we've been conditioned now to expect him to do something fantastic the second he has the ball and the whole arena is like kind of like just waiting for it there's a sort of like four or five seconds of dead space essentially and it's really fun to just be a part of and we saw that immediately like it was this, it was a king's game it was like he was on the road but the second he got the ball in transition he got i think he stole the ball from doug christie which wow mark it's a lot of markers of time today yeah jelani mccoy on the kings another marker of time that one's before your time i yes transition transition yeah just that is still the most dangerous part of his game which is all to say that the foundation of his game was set at pretty much by the time he got into the league, which is of course one of the reasons that he's able to break this record. He was scoring all these points already. Right. Um, 
like you go back in these games and it's like, you know, youngest to 3000 points, youngest to 4,000 points. We all know this stuff. But the thing that really, you know, struck me was the fact that this is a guy who has really, really evolved with the times. His game has changed, you know, through basically two eras of basketball. There's been the three point revolution um, and just a whole bunch of stuff that's happened. And he has, while adapting to that, maintained the general foundation of his game like and that's kind of what i want to explore today like the just that kind of like dichotomy of that the two sort of because they play against each other right like we have this idea that he's adapted to change his entire career but also there are parts of his game that have just essentially stayed the same what do you see as the foundation though you you keep saying that but i want you to i would i want you to flesh it out tangibly what what do you see as the foundation of lebron's game like in that first game what have you seen ripple out over the course of his career, in your opinion? I would say the biggest thing in that first game is playmaking. Yeah. Um, but actually, the thing that the thing that he built in his second year is the one thing that I think has really stood like stood the test of time and has been basically like probably if, I, I imagine maybe if you asked him about his approach to basketball, he might say something along the lines of always trying to get to the rim that started in his second year. Actually, he didn't, he didn't do a great job of getting to the rim in his, uh, in his, in his first year, but he was only shooting 44% of the rim. Yeah. Um, and those numbers progressively went up his entire career, but he was actually trying to get to the rim all the time. Um, and everything that he built around his game after that feels like it was in order to address the counters that were presented to him that were stopping him from getting to the rim. Uh, but Kirk Goldsberry actually has this great stat from, from an article that he wrote in 20, 2018, where he says that LeBron has gotten into, into the paint, um, more, more points has more points in the paint than anyone in this century. That was from a 2018 article. And I imagine, you know, the last, the last two years he hasn't gone to the rim that same, the same amount, but that kind of is a testament to when he was in his, total athletic prime that was his goal and everything else in his game was sort of built around getting to getting to the rim yeah he had like i think and i think if you wanted to like dig in and say like okay why you you know and you look at like i personally think that you talk about getting to the rim in transition yes i agree i was gonna ask you i think I know I'm a little like more nerdy or nerdy and tedious about like historical stuff but like I, i can't like i know in terms of like Passing in the open court, you know, Magic obviously has a crazy reputation. We, we've had a lot of great athletes over the year. If you're an athlete, you're going to be good in transition. But I think Giannis and LeBron are probably the two best transition players that I've ever seen. In turn, and I think a big part of that is a the just overall physical power to like you can he can drive through people's chests. He also has like lower body flexibility, like his lower body power and stability but also flexibility that's kind of an overlap between those two guys um it's interesting you were talking about and and he still had the power maybe the flexibility is taking a little bit of a dip as he's gotten into his lakers years his his little bit later um i i think that's one of the big things about him that's that's so difficult to stop and you know his finishing bag has obviously like really evolved over the years too yeah that's probably been i think i think like anybody if you ask a coach like that's the one thing you don't want is LeBron in transition. And then like you build out from all these other LeBron possibilities that you don't want. Um, but the way that his game evolved, I think was turning those things that you could live with into things that you no longer wanted to live with, or that at least like a lot of the times he was going to 
come out with an advantage, right? Like moving on to when he gets into the playoffs. I think that's that is a signal shift for LeBron and I think I think shows us part of why he's been able to do this. Uh watching some of these playoff games, the first thing you notice is that the, the court just looks a little bit different. He has more shooters around him. This is like we get into the era of him basically making the careers of Larry Hughes and Booby Gibson. Um, and more importantly, I think it's the birth of LeBron James, a problem solver. Uh, his his playoff debut against the Wizards. Now, you you mentioned this, uh, but I'm going to I'm going to take it right now. He's only missed the playoffs three times in his career. Um, that's. That's incredible. And it also speaks to the fact that he has been playing all these minutes and has scored all these points that like aren't part of this record at all. Um, yeah. He is. Uh, he's still like he's still behind Kareem, I think, in uh, in playoff uh, total minutes. But it puts him ahead of Malone and Malone still is ahead of him in regular season minutes. Uh, so that's that's incredible. Yeah, the, the he's these floor raising players really have a way of doing this. I like a, I crewed like a thing one time where I was talking about like Stockton, Steve Nash, Chris Paul. Between the three of them, they'd missed the playoffs like four total times. And I just think like solid wow. stewardship. You know, even if you're not like somebody that's a flashy like passing manipulator, like just if you have high like a high baseline of quality decision making you're automatically going to be in a good spot to be a player and i think we're seeing some of that from luca going i just wanted to tack on this stat because i pulled this up and this blew my mind talking about longevity and, and productivity lebron has been in eight game sevens in his career and he's six and two in those games with averages of 35 points essentially and almost 46 minutes in each one so this is a guy that can like carry a heavy heavy load mm -hmm. in the toughest you're talking about problem solvers like that's that is the proof that you're a problem solver if you can carry that kind of load and be uh efficient uh and drawing <laughs> 13 free throw attempts per game 5.6 assists and and almost 10 rebounds um those are the toughest most grinding moments for a basketball player that can prove like whether your shit works basically if your mm -hmm. shit can work there you know it's kind of like if you're funny you can you can kill it at, at madison square garden in front you know it's like do your thing mm -hmm. on the highest level lebron has proven that that he's done that but this this problem solving thing is interesting to me because you were talking about i think the first time that one I, when i think about the eras of lebron the most fun era for me i think was that era of like 05 to 07 ish where it was like we knew it was going to happen but then it was like okay they know lebron's coming and he's still mm -hmm. doing it i think it was like that 06 series against washington i vividly have like a where you were moment <laughs> i remember i had like a big fight with like a girlfriend at the time i think because i was uh -huh. trying to watch that wizards game <laughs> And it was in a dorm, and I remember I, it was like a fight was sort of like happening, and I remember just being like, "I'm I'm watching this fucking game," and I oh remember I left, and and it was one of those like get back here. Uh, I don't even know why I'm sharing this, but I definitely <laughs> I like went back to my dorm to finish watching this because LeBron was that incredible. He was just so powerful and so skilled, but. Um, continue the LeBron problem solving thing. No, I, no. Yeah. Do you remember what you were fighting? You're about? gonna pry on the fighting thing. I knew it. <laughs> I don't I don't I don't remember what it was but I I do remember I do remember just blinders on trying to finish watching that game because it was so special um and, and me getting to see him on live mm -hmm. TV wasn't that normal either at the time considering you know the league pass it's it's way more normal to see throwaway games today than it was back then That's very true I think that's part of the reason we kind of remember some of like the 
the the highlight LeBron games. Um, I imagine, you know, I think if we reflect on maybe Luka Doncic 20 years from now, it's going to be like, yeah, I was, you know, on League Pass and he was, you know, there was this game against, I don't know, like, I, I think, I mean, he's just kind of appointment viewing no matter who he plays. But, you know, I was I'm trying to think of a team. I'm like, it was the Hawks. It was the Nuggets. I'm like, no, that could also be on ESPN. Like all these games could sure. be on ESPN. It's but the way point more is, it's going to, it's going to feel different uh, when we, when we do this later. Uh, but, you know, I think, I th- yeah, just like that, that era of LeBron um, in, in my, in my wormhole, I obviously went back and watched game five against the Pistons in 2007. Um, probably the moment that he, kind of entered the main stage in terms of like this guy could now be in the running for the best player on the planet. Uh, it was an incredible performance. It went to double overtime, but one the thing that really stuck out to me was the way that the Pistons like went and another game that everyone should just go and watch. Uh, but these are all on YouTube too. Like I, it, these yeah. aren't just like uh, empty, empty invitations or recommendations. These are the NBA has done a pretty good job of documenting these. Like they're on their YouTube channel. Yeah. So I'd, I'd recommend it. I, I, I have to say, I think free Dawkins has probably done the best job to be honest. Cause he also like, he, like keeps like the, the post game interviews and, and stuff. I really like like the, the stuff that free Dawkins chooses to, keep um but yeah uh he yeah so lebron against the pistons he goes on this scoring barge in the first half of the game um he was a, an unstoppable barge <laughs> of scoring so i'm gonna we'll circle it back and yeah, I, i'll defend yeah, you on thank that. you thank you kyle uh, but i know what you mean i know what you mean it, like that was his ahead of schedule moment you know i feel it, like every yeah, every superstar yeah, young team and every superstar has mm-hmm. that moment where we're like Wait a minute! They shouldn't be here now. Like, yeah. and I feel like that was his. Like Jordan's, yeah. Jordan's huge the sixty three point game against the Celtics. You know, is that, that those moments are really fun. I feel like we're yeah, definitely. It's like a preview of what's to come, but it's also it's also already here sometimes. You know, mm-hmm. um, and yeah. So the Pistons in the second half they start trapping him. They try, start trying to get him to give up the ball, but he's. A, so methodical and B, so strong that he can stave off that pressure. And he, we always know that he was able to make the right decision with the basketball. And, you know, this isn't like we are we are seeing him spray out to some of the shooters for sure. But the big thing, I think, is just he keeps he keeps just spamming Big Z with these layups. Like every time they try to trap, he's either beating the trap and then using his strength to barrel into the next guy, uh, which put a pin in that. And he just finds a way to beat them essentially. Right. So then by the fourth quarter, the Pistons are like, screw this. We got to go back to one-on-one coverage. And the last two plays of the fourth quarter for LeBron, he basically gets to walk to the rim on layups because Rip Hamilton is like, Oh man, I can't help off the dunker spot. Like big Z is there. And it just, it was like the moment he became impossible. And then in, in double, in overtime, double overtime, he's, he's hitting all these jumpers and he's also another key. I think he just outlasted everyone. Yeah. Like he's always just had the stamina to outlast everyone. That kind of that goes back to your game seven stat in the moment. And when everybody else is, is a tired and jittery, he somehow like his, his stats end up being better than everybody else's. But obviously then we have the 2007 Spurs series, which I think was probably defining for him in terms of knowing what he needed to do next. Um, they go to the finals after beating the Pistons and in, in seven, I believe it was seven. And 
the same formula just doesn't work against the Spurs because instead of having like an older version of Ben Wallace at the rim, you have Tim Duncan and you have, you know, instead of Tayshaun Prince, you have Bruce Bowen guarding him. And like, that's no disrespect to Tayshaun Prince. He's one of the best defenders in the world, but it's like there's a difference be. between him and him and, uh, him and Bruce Bowen. Oh yeah. You big Tayshaun Prince guy. Oh my God. One of the biggest. Are you kidding me? Tayshaun Prince. Uh, that was my guy. Probably my favorite uh, player. I mean, I love Tayshaun Prince for obvious reasons, the geographic kind of reasons. But Tayshaun mm-hmm. was awesome, and the the, pace, the Pistons that was a team full of great. That was a great cohesive defensive team, and they didn't have an answer for that. Yeah, and it's like I, I think I think you're on to something there. Yeah, yeah, they just, just didn't have an answer to that. By the way, also a big Tayshaun Prince fan. I think I was actually going into those playoffs uh, rooting for the Pistons. Uh, but yeah, it's just it was it was just an incredible series to watch but also the fulcrum of what would eventually build out lebron's game i think the way that you know that zone schemed him out and all of a sudden he's trying to barrel into guys it's just not working anymore i also think you know there's some jumpers that he get hit against the pistons that he wasn't necessarily hitting against the spurs and the spurs were also much more okay with giving those to him as well like they were they would rather just back off and try to make him you know barrel into everybody that just it just didn't work as well Uh, against the Spurs and from there I think that's where we get into when LeBron starts making some changes to his game this is well this all of this predates obviously the three-point boom I think and Mm -hmm. that's not we know yes it does but if you look at um I I printed off I showed I didn't literally print it I could have I guess but I put a, a screenshot for you of like his play type evolution in years like one through I don't know, like from his second year all the way up to like 2014, how he shifted his game. And it really was a geometry shift. And this is, I think, this is the thing that I think separates LeBron from most every other player. And I'm going to, I'm going to pull, I'm going to reference my buddy Ben Taylor here and talk about his like multifaceted scalability. The fact that like, and very few other players can do this. When you talk about, when I, when you say scalability, you just mean, can they take what they do and amplify it to the highest level, to the biggest load? Can they carry an enormous load in a playoff game? And we can see guys that can do, that can carry one type of of scale like they can scale up in one area like Steph's Steph I would say is pretty multifaceted he's got like the pick and roll he's really really heavy off ball uh but LeBron his shift I think is what separated him when he shifted from and we're hoping that Giannis is going to grow into this type of player Jokic is kind of becoming this way when he shifted from everything that I'm doing is perimeter, rim-facing, downhill, because you were talking about him dribbling into those baseline jumpers against the Kings, he was a skinny, he was a powerful dude, and I, I posted his body evolution. He's become a super powerful guy, and it's kind of shifted back and forth over the years, but when he shifted the angle of the floor and said, like, okay, I can barrel to the basket and punish you in transition on a straight line drive, things like that, but I don't have to do it. I can post you up and use my superpower, which is LeBron the problem solver, like you said. Um, when he slowly start, you can kind of see in the graphs that like once he hit that point of like he can play with his back to the basket, mm-hmm. uh, I he he just became he was already basically impossible to stop. He became one of the more impossible stop players to stop, I think, in the history of the sport. Like, and I think that's mm-hmm. that's one thing that makes him like transcendently unique yeah i love that you brought this up kyle because i think we saw a so incremental improvement upon all those things in his years in cleveland that ultimately wasn't good enough at that moment we all remember you know the 2010 series against uh against the celtics which was probably you know like when obviously that was what you know 
you know, shifted him to, to Miami. Um, and that's where I think we saw him play the most incredible basketball of his career, uh, which we'll talk about after the break. Turn every Thursday into payday with TNT Thursdays on FanDuel Sportsbook. It doesn't matter if you win or lose, FanDuel is giving all customers $10 in bonus bets every Thursday. Just bet a $10 or more same game parlay on any NBA on TNT game. Same game parlays let you combine the money line, point spread, player props, and more all into one wager. I personally like to bet player props, but you might want to bet the money line, the point spreads, the matchups, whatever it might be, there's something for everybody. So start building your own or just bet a popular same game parlay already made for you in America's number one sports book. And win or lose, you're guaranteed to get $10 added to your account. If you're new to FanDuel, just sign up with the promo code RINGERMBA. Get $10 back every Thursday. Win or lose with TNT Thursdays. Exclusively on FanDuel Sportsbook, an official betting partner of the NBA. 21 and up in select states. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets, which expire seven days after receipt. Max bonus $10. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG. Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, Virginia. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit www.mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY, that's 467-369 in New York. 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming or visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. So now we are coming to the point where LeBron takes his talents to South Beach. And in Miami, he, this is, oh man, this is my favorite LeBron. This is just, I'm just so excited to talk about this. This I'm was so like basketball big bang he was. for you, right? Yes. I mean, yeah. And it was, ba- it was also, I was actually going to say, it was, I thought you were getting into like just the basketball big bang of all the different things that sort of happened for LeBron in Miami and the way that the league was shifting at the time. Like a lot of things converged together to make these, I think four years in basketball that we honestly do not talk about enough. There were this bridge between eras that was also electric in and of itself. Um, I think fledgling analytics movement there too. I mean, like you get, you get the stuff Mm -hmm. with, you know, like a guy like Shane Battier, suddenly we start hearing arguments like, Oh, actually Shane Battier is insanely valuable. And people are like, what? He doesn't hit dribble pull up jumpers or, or ISO. It's like, no, Mm -hmm. no, there's like a spatial thing happening in this game that we've been like resistant to, uh, that I think really this was sort of the, on the timeline of the sport, I almost feel like this was sort of the cradle of innovation, you know, like this is kind of the spot where it started to like, you know, it's it, the, the cocktail started to mm-hmm. to bubble and fizz. And I feel like, I, I feel like that's what you're getting at. Exactly. 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 So, um, and, and, you know, in Miami, I think tactically they were working it out and they were figuring it out organically in time right there. So he, LeBron gets to Miami and, 
The center on that team is Joel Anthony. Chris Bosch is a power forward. He is still, you know, he is an incredible mid-range shooter, but he is by all means a mid-range shooter. And you have Dwayne Wade, one of the best slashing guards of all time, and also another incredible mid-range shooter in his own right. And you have shooters around that, but not to the extent that you, you would, we would see later with, like, in, to, to your point, the addition of Shane Battier. Um, that team... There is the Maverick series, of course. Like, we can just skip right to that. Um, there were spacing issues on that team, but it was also the worst that I think we've ever seen LeBron play on a big stage. It was just, it was, if there is a black mark in his career, it is that series. Uh, and we see, we see basically like Jason Kidd is able to handle him in the post and he just shouldn't be able to handle him in the post. His aggressiveness is not there. I think there's obviously some, like this is for a different podcast and a different topic completely, but there is like some of the mental stuff going on with him embracing the villain role and not necessarily being suited for it. It was it was a very tough year for LeBron. He's getting booed everywhere in the NBA. Yeah. The Heat are like public enemy number one, all of that stuff, right? And it's just like at the end of that series, you're just kind of thinking like, where does LeBron go from here? And and you fast forward to where they go from there. Chris Bosh starts expanding his shooting range. Uh, they bring in these shooters. They still go center, right? And this is something that's interesting because Eric Spolster talked about uh, LeBron a couple of days ago, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But one thing that he says is that he always regrets not playing him at center. Like they were, because they, they were figuring their way towards this evolution, but they weren't all the way there yet. Like it wasn't like you could justifiably do something like that. But the way that they innovated was playing LeBron at the four, playing Chris Bosh at the five, making those two guys a linchpin of, of their defense. And everybody thought they weren't going to be able to rebound. I remember going into 2012 now, going into that uh, Bulls series after they beat the Celtics thinking, okay, they beat the Celtics, but the Bulls are a much better rebounding team. Like, I don't know if they're going to be able to handle that because the Celtics weren't really a good rebounding team at that juncture anymore. Yeah. Um, and they were much older too. Right. And like the, the heat just beat them with their athleticism and well, they beat them in a lot of ways, but you know, um, but it was just, it was this moment where you weren't really sure exactly what was going to happen if they, if you played that way. Um, and you've also, LeBron is making gains on his, on his range too, but he's also make, taking more of a concerted effort to not settle for three pointers. He's kind of going back into this mode of like, I want to get to the rim. I don't want to settle like I did last year in, in, in the Maverick series as well. And I think that was something that, that Dwayne Wade also emphasized for himself as well. So you have all of these sort of shifts. Like there, everybody here is starting to think about their role in basketball a little bit differently about what the sport could and should look like a little bit differently. And you have Eric Spolster who at the time, at the time, nobody knew was like a coaching genius either. Do you remember like when they, in the first year, uh, when they started off like maybe like five and four or something or like six, like six and five. And it's like, they're barely above 500 and everybody thinks this is a disaster. And LeBron like bumps Eric Spolster on the shoulder and it becomes like this huge It's so story. funny it's to like... forget about all that stuff. <laughs> like it's so funny to forget about the narratives too, that, yeah. you know, I, I think the church of LeBron has been, has a strong foundation and there's, I, I, I feel like he's pretty unassailable, like legacy wise. I know there are like people on Twitter that love to do the, the LeBum and like try to delegitimize his titles mm -hmm. and things like that. But it's easy to remember that when we, during that time, during that transition to Miami, the, the theory was that he ran. The theory was that like he didn't dig in and, and dance with the people that 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 he, that he went to the dance with and uh, dance with the one that brought him. And there was this idea that he wasn't a winner, you know, that like he didn't have the killer instinct, which I guess was all sort of like predicated on, you know, the Jordan fanatics of like, you got to hit the big shot. You got to, you know, mm -hmm. we, we had this idea of basketball and 
I just think it's funny to think back about those things that we don't, we yeah. forget about now before it all played out. And, you know. Yeah, totally. And he he's vindicated his own style of play. That's a great point. You know, just him. There were times where, like, you know, he would he would pass to the open three point shooter for a game winner, and everybody would be like, "What the hell?" Like, yeah, like this guy has no killer instinct. Like, Skip Bayless is going on, and he's still going on and all on about it, which also he's brings me to of, one yeah. of my favorite moments in the LeBron James trajectory, which happened after the Dallas Mavericks loss, um, where he's t- he's asked about his haters, and he's like, "I'm not bothered because you still have to go back to being you, and I'm LeBron James." That's not Yay. what he said, but it's essentially <laughs> what he said. <laughs> And I just love that. It's still like, it will go down as one of my favorite moments in the like LeBron James pantheon. It's incredible. I'm sure that every columnist at the time probably bashed him for it and talked about why that was the reason that he's in this situation. But I don't give a shit because he was absolutely right. And everything about his play style afterwards got vindicated. Nowadays, if you don't pass out of a double team, no matter what the situation is in the game, you are roasted for it as you probably should be because that's the right basketball play. And yeah. he made the right basketball play over and over again for long enough that, you know, it worked out in his favor. Um, Consciousness of video, I think, has really skyrocketed too, which I think has like contributed a lot yes. to the like general knowledge of basketball. I, I like the availability. I mean, I'll have people tweet at me. I like, I'll have like teenagers tweet at me, like video clips that they pulled up and they're like pointing out specific things. I just think like the, the, uh, not that teenagers wouldn't know. I just feel like I, what I mean by that is like the age of awareness. Like, I think people, their awareness of the nuance of basketball is so much more advanced than it has been in the past. And that's, that's just the video accessibility of video, which is another thing here. But I think Mm -hmm. you were talking about the Dallas series and like, for him to, and this is what I meant about like the multifacetedness of it, is that like this was sort of the big seismic moment of like LeBron shifting the geometry of his impact that like he could play. And this has been talked about a lot, but like his post touches skyrocketed. By the time, you know, by like 2012, 13, uh, he was, you know, post-ups comprise like 15% of his touches, which is, which is wild. Yeah. That's, that's, that's like, I think the big thing that they wanted to build in his game, not, not only just him posting up more for his own scoring, but also becoming enough of a post threat that you had to double team him and he could make plays out of that. Um, and that's, that is, I think what, you know, what's, we can skip to 2013 where they eventually beat the Spurs. That same defensive scheme is not going to work anymore because now you have a version of LeBron who is shooting incredibly well everywhere on the floor. And I just want to go through some of these numbers just to like, this is apex LeBron, basically 20, 2012 to 2014. He's in the 98th percentile and sh- percentage of shots taken at the rim. That's for two straight years. That is incredible. That and it is also it is a testament to Miami's spacing combining with LeBron's aggressiveness and also him being in his complete athletic prime. It is just a beautiful coalescing of all those things um in the mid-range during in the miami years he's pretty much from the 42 percent to 45 percent range those were his career highs to this day um i imagine probably that has to do with some of the balance that he was able to get in the spacing that he was able to get in 2014 he shot 56 percent from corner three 60 percent from the left corner um 
and a career high 79% from the rim. He was so damn good this year. And you also, there was a great stat from one of the, oh yeah, he, his po uh, from what you uh, posted, his post points per possession were 1.103, which was also a career high that year. His efficient field goal percent from the post was 57%. That's he was, uh, it is incredible to me that they didn't win a championship that year. That was the year that the Spurs got revenge. And I think the yeah. rest of the team was pretty tired by then. I think they talk about it now. They were at the end of their rope, but that yeah. is probably LeBron's best season. Yeah, Dwayne Wade's knees at that point were just like two pieces, two metal poles, just sort of like slamming against each other. Like <laughs> I just can't mm-hmm. the cartlet the cartilage situation in Dwayne Wade's knees must have been like a barren desert. I think one of the key, one of the key things, like the shot frequency thing, when you line it up and look at it from beginning to end, is really wild. And I was mentioning to you that like it's crazy the corner three thing specifically, and some of that comes from like the types of touches that you get; those things affect it. But like. LeBron's shot distribution didn't really change from like, oh, three, oh, four. Like, for example, when he was a rookie, LeBron, 4% of his attempts were corner threes. This year, 3% of his per attempts. You're talking about barge barrage. You should have pounced on that one. Um, I wouldn't do that too, Kyle. Uh, right. Kill me with kindness. Not going to work. I thrive. <laughs> I will just fight right back. Pointing at the, like the percentiles. And that's what's wild where you can see like a shift in basketball is that like he was in the 31st percentile percentile when he was like taking four percent corner threes but by oh by 14 15 to give you an idea of how much the lead changed he was shooting three percent but that was in the seventh percentile so like the nba totally shift and this is what's remarkable about lebron is that like he's different from other superstars in that he didn't really i'm sure people in conference had to adjust what they were thinking about. If you knew you were going to be playing in a playoff series against LeBron, sure, you're going to need to plan in the same way that teams that know that they're going to have to play a Jokic or Embiid are going to need to plan. But like, it didn't reach the level of like a Steph or a Shaq where it was like, we literally have to draft players to defend this person. But LeBron's skill set was so multifaceted that like, he was able to be era proof, you know, like in mm-hmm. this spatial shift in the NBA, he shifts and has a whole run with the, his return to the Cavs, which we're going to talk about, where he's dynamic in a different way, but just as impactful. And I, I think that's just it's really remarkable to think about. Like, I, not many players could have done that, honestly. No, I mean, it's it's also this also gets to the way that he impacted the three-point revolution, but also the way that the three-point revolution impacted him. Now, I kind of push back against the idea that he didn't change the he is in in some sense yes like you can't you can't push recreate back. let LeBron. me hear it what is it i love what is pushing it? Push back. back uh yeah that's why you always got your fists up uh yeah so he obviously he's not steph curry or somebody where like you know hypothetically you could look at if you were trying to get into the nba you could look at like oh i'll add to my three-point shooting and i'll improve my stamina and i'll try to recreate some of his game you can't do that with lebron he is an athletic specimen he is innate passing ability there's things that you can't replicate with him but i i think that his mind the way that his mind mapped out the court is something that today's dominant playmakers have definitely copied the the driving kick game just the way that he operates in pick and roll um the idea even of lebron plus shooters which became like the 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 formula that was developing in miami which just like you know completely solidified in cleveland um is something that was happening at the same time as it was happening around the league right like i think LeBron was getting to the place where everybody was figuring out that the best way 
to maximize his skill set was to give him space and give him targets, which is ideally going to be either four shooters or three shooters and one guy at the rim who can, who can dunk. Um, And that is something that was coming together in Miami while the league was also getting to this place where like, if you are a, if you are a role player, then you are going to be incentivized to develop your three point shot and become your uh, a three and D player. And like, there was a point where that type of player is still very highly valued, but the value for that type of player really, really skyrocketed around that time because it wasn't just, you know, we get to this place where it's not just LeBron James doing it this way. It's like James Harden doing it this way. Now it's Luka Doncic is doing this, doing it this way. And pretty much I would say at this point, every, every dominant star who is good enough to regularly command double teams has borrowed from the way that LeBron sees the game, whether it's, you know, later years kind of like navigating in a way of like just getting to the nail, getting to the paint and then making that pass or going all the way to the, to the rim and driving and kicking to the corner. Um, some of that stuff is basic basketball. It's always existed, but LeBron did it to an extent that you could build an entire offense around it. And we started seeing that happen. Like, I think, I think you can, even trace like heliocentrism back to LeBron. I almost feel like Helio was, and I'm just thinking this out loud in the moment and just like, uh, see what you think. Like it almost feels like Helio was sort of a distortion of what he was doing because it seems more like LeBron is in the lineage of the bird magic, quick, low touch, right decision with Mm -hmm. the dash of like, he could score on ball, but he wasn't a full blown I honestly feel like what Maury did was saw that, okay, we have this spread pick and roll revolution now. We have this like space that we can we can put more shooters out there. We can shoot more threes. Data says that we should do this. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. LeBron never really was that. I, I honestly feel like he was more in the lineage of the low touch time passer. And I said this on Bill's show like last month, I think. Um, I don't know. It, it kind of feels like it had basketball had a divergence that maybe he – he was responsible for, but it wasn't them like mimicking him directly. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that's that's actually fair. That's actually fair. And I, I would say, yeah, because there's there's early LeBron, right? And I think in Miami that that offense was so diverse, but almost maybe maybe this is how it happened. Maybe it was like Maury took that. He took like a little cutout of one part of how LeBron does things, realized how efficient it was. And Harden just starts spamming it, essentially. I've started saying spamming so much more now that we podcast together. It's like it's you say it a lot and it's like one of my favorite terms. Um, I don't know. It's almost like a video game. Like, I don't know when you used to like I I, I grew up playing a lot of NBA live online growing up, Mm -hmm. which dates me, you know, Uh, and I I remember specifically playing with LeBron uh, early on. I was very excited for him to be on the game here and there. But I remember like if you play online, there would be these like idiosyncrasies in the game that people would Mm -hmm. spam. And that's the first time I can remember it. Now, like I feel like Helio is one of the main times that we saw Mm -hmm. something like that come to basketball that was like data driven. And and, like, I I feel like we've kind of reset now that we've like Mm -hmm. seen that in the playoffs be like tried over and over again. But sorry if I say spamming a lot. I don't like <laughs> to spam the food. I'm not trying to say it a lot, but maybe I do. <laughs> um, no, I like it. It's a great word. Uh, I think it's it's a great descriptor for a lot of the way that the game is played now. Um, but so I would say, you know, Harden starts spamming it. And then I think in turn, in the Cleveland years, we see this increase in usage from him. Um and this more like 
he plays one to five, but he's essentially kind of like the point guard for that team. We see like a full modernization of his game. Um, and especially, especially after Kyrie got traded, I think that's probably the year that we saw it most. So early on, I think it's still kind of like a little bit more in the realm of like Miami taking turns and not necessarily always being the point guard. But when Kyrie was hurt and when Kyrie left or got traded, um, it turned into more of a heliocentric LeBron's going to have the ball in his hands the whole time type of style of basketball. And I think like the, the one, the one game that I go back to is his like 50 point game against, uh, against, against the Warriors in the finals, which really, really felt like that. Um, but that's, that's a great point. Like it's that, and that's, what's so interesting about this sort of era of, of LeBron's career, uh, where all these changes are happening in the game, but he's also adjusting to these changes, but he's also, he's also really, you know, he's benefiting from these changes as well. If you talk about the three point revolution, obviously he expands his own range, right? And there's more efficiency and value in him doing that, but there's also more efficient shooters coming into the league. Now, you know, you've got, you've got like the likes of Kyle Korver on his team, J.R. Smith, like you're just surround Richard Jefferson. Like you're just anybody with a pulse who can shoot the basketball is going to be, is going to be useful on those Cleveland teams and be really, really valuable on those Cleveland teams. Like, wasn't there, I don't have this in front of me right now, but wasn't there a stat during those years that, you know, LeBron and Corver were like the best offensive duo in the league at some point around that time. I don't remember, but it sounds, sure it sounds were. like it makes sense. I think that speaks to his malleability that he could be, you know, we talk about if there's a situation that calls like a dire situation of necessity, LeBron is I, I back in the past you probably this is a comic book thing but I compared Zion to like the symbiote I just said that he could cover LeBron is like the the basketball symbiote meaning that like he can come into a situation and like morph it or bridge the gaps and strengthen it in however it's necessary he's basically just like the ultimate universal donor like multi-purpose mm. tool you get in and I I personally think those 15 finals are one of the more, I don't want to say underrated, but I think it's, I absolutely think it's on the level or close to of what he did in 18. Like the fact that he was able to be like the anchor on both sides of the ball and carry like mm -hmm. the decision-making load, like uh, offensively. Um, I'm sure he was like, I'm sure that was DHO driven, right? And I'm sure that was like off-screen movement where Corver would get open. Um, mm -hmm. LeBron can be, he can be a like Sabonis, Jokic level like passer in that situation, or he can be the roller, or he can be the pick and roll ball handler, or the post up guy, or the ISO guy. Um, I don't doubt that at all. I don't have that number in front of me, but that, I think that speaks to his malleability too that he would have that relationship with Corver. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, and didn't you like you had something in our in our notes about how much time he spent like just basically being both the screener and the roller. Was that in the Cleveland years? Uh, I mean, if you look at his like progression over the years, I, I only have up through like 14 here, but you can see that he definitely had an uptick. Uh, it was probably around 08, I would say, up through his early, maybe his first year in Cleveland where he just spent more time as the roller. And I, I think mm -hmm. I think all of this kind of illustrates that thing that people talk about when they say like, okay, five of this person versus five of any other player all time. I think LeBron has that on lockdown. I can't think of another no player question. that like, you know, and we're going to, the, the Spolstra thing about like, he could, he could, I, I guess I'm going to bury it here that like, um, <laughs> or I'm going to uh, unearth it here that like, 
Spolstra said that he could have like spent the season playing any position and been the mm-hmm. best in the league at that position. I don't think that there's another player in the history of the league that could say something like that. I really don't. I, if you want to make a case for him as like the best player of all time, that's a pretty freaking good sp- sp- spot to start, honestly. Yeah, that's that's probably the best place to start. Um, I'm trying to think like Kevin Durant is like maybe the only guy that comes to mind as somebody, but yeah. like you're you're gonna have you're gonna have some lacks in playmaking, and then you're also like if you on defense, like there's gonna be certain guys that'll just be able to barrel barrel through as well. Like, like LeBron. LeBron can in those yeah LeBron LeBron in those Miami years especially. Do you remember when he held Derrick Rose to nine percent shooting in the in in, in in 2012 in the in the fourth quarter of the conference finals and that was, that was the MVP by the way I think that was LeBron's revenge in, in a way as well because um, he definitely should have won MVP I mean he should have won MVP pretty much every year I don't want the Chicago ones to hunt me down but I mean I feel like LeBron put together several MVP seasons in a row and and whether he got it or not and I think that. Yeah, he, his defensive flexibility is just as imp- impressive. He can, can be on my, the ball. My galaxy brain take before you. It sounds oh, like I you're going to say something really this. smart there. I, I kind of think that year that Rose won. I know everybody says LeBron should have won. I think Dwight Howard should have won MVP that year. Which is big for you since you love Dwight so much. Oh, so know. much. <laughs> so much, don't we all? Dwight Howard, <laughs> who's, who's, who I sent here a clip of him saying the D was really important repeatedly in a post-game interview. Like, yeah, that yeah, was to a, a female that was, reporter. Oh, God. It was just so cringy. Like, guys, come on. It's, come on, fellas. Like, are you five? I mean, and Dwight <laughs> seems like he kind of is. Yowchie. Uh, anyway, sorry. Um, there's a breakout. I, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the fact that he can fight over screens at this point. At this point, he's like the best athlete in the league, right? He could have been a Division One wide receiver. Like, he's that kind of athlete. He can fight over screens. He can stay on the ball. Uh, the other thing is that he can, like, meet centers and body them. And, like, at the rim, I, I think that's the argument there for, like, maybe Spolstra kicking himself, not playing him at the five. I think he's... He's probably the all-time player. And I know that like basketball nerds, we do this like fantasy thing where we're just like so-and-so at the five, so-and-so at the five. It's just fun to think mm-hmm. about what could happen. But I think I think LeBron's probably the, one of the main guys that could do that both directions, really, capably. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. It's 3 p.m. and dinner is still hours to come. Maybe lunch didn't quite hit the spot. That's where the new two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps from Arby's come in. Available in ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for the afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Arby's 2 for $5 chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation. Of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Visible Wireless. Want a wireless provider that always brings its A-game? Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. And as if that wasn't already a huge win, you could use promo code RINGER20 to receive $20 off your first month. 
just for listening to us talk about basketball. Not bad, right? You don't need more than one line of wireless to save. Just switch to Visible at Visible.com and use promo code RINGER20 for data management practices and additional terms. Visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. You know, I think this is a good time to to talk about the the Lakers years. Uh, not quite as exciting as as the other years, but they all they do. I mean, they do hit on some important things like that thing that you talked about earlier with the the corner corner three percentile shift. Um, LeBron should just never be in the 46th and 40th percentile for shooting. I think that really speaks to the Lakers' lack of spacing. Like he has been the best shooter. Um, on that team at different times. Uh, and let's not, I don't know. I don't want to like really go over this too much. We all know this about the modern day Lakers. Uh, but the biggest shift in his game is that is probably that the shift from, uh, his, his rim efficiency is just not what it used to be. He has, unfortunately, as a tear rolls down my, uh, my face, lost a step in that regard. Um, he just doesn't finish as well as he used to. He also, I mean, I don't know, I guess Jason Tatum can just like clobber him. Um, and, and that's fine. Uh, mm. it's just, that's just okay, I guess. Sort of subject, uh, but right? yeah. you know, that all, a lot of that has actually just shifted straight to, uh, three point line, uh, his, his rim stuff. He is. There is just not a lot of mid-range to be found these days in uh, in LeBron's game. He has become a lot more like he's become a lot more of like a, a map of what you'd want like the perfectly efficient player to be. If you if you look at like uh, his usage, like uh, him flirting with the helio range by necessity. If you look since in his past six seasons, because this is all I have in front of me here, uh, his averages were anywhere from like per one hundred possessions, like one hundred sixteen up to like 127 in 2021. This year, they're 105, which is like by, it's dramatically lower than like yeah. his touches in the past per 100. And he's still posting like his fourth highest scoring season per game ever. That just mm-hmm. speaks to, he's capable of that. He's always had an odd jump shot, j- jump shot though. I was just going to say, why like the lean thing, you know, mm-hmm. it's kind of, it's interesting. Do you think it's because he's so strong that he, Maybe he has to like depower himself a little bit and lean so that his touch is softer. It's just I'm spitballing here. So during the Clippers game last week, when he hit a career high nine threes, I was sitting next to uh, Cooper Halpern at Silver Screen and Roll, who made the great point that when LeBron does the lean and like kind of lands imbalanced on his left, he usually misses a shot. In that game, he was completely balanced. So I, th- I think it could actually just be a, a weakness in his in his shooting. Like when he does shoot like that, you're naturally going to be a little bit off balance when you're leaning back like that. And when he doesn't do it, um, it's it seems like that's it's more likely that the shot is going to go in or it's like a good looking shot. De'Aaron Fox does that. De'Aaron Fox does that little lean. And I've noticed if his feet land a certain way, if they don't land straight where they were, that matters too. Like mm-hmm. I feel like if they, you get a little drift, of course – I'm sure LeBron at, at some, on some level has like an intentionality to to playing that way, but mm-hmm. uh, or to doing that in his shot. Uh, far be it from me. I'm sure he's thought about this. You know, I'm sure that LeBron yeah, has considered this <laughs> because he's considered things. And I think that's a good segue mm-hmm. to what that Spolstra clip. I think I think that's a good segue to like the mindfulness that he's had throughout his career. Yeah. Like I feel like that's one that is like the key thing that feeds into the other aspects yeah. that have made him durable. Before well, before we get into that, I do have one question for you because if we look at the Lakers' tenure right now, um, I think it's a good preview for what we could see from LeBron later down the line. So I'm just kind of curious, like as he 
eventually really ages out. Like, what do you think, based on everything that we've talked about today, a like you know LeBron game, LeBron's game looks like maybe three years from now? Uh, I mean, he's adjusted to the slower pace thing. I'm I'm curious. I'm curious, like which thing's going to catch up to him first. I mean, I'd imagine it's going to be defense because I feel like LeBron will be able to like offensively impact the game. He's going to be able to maybe not, maybe not like he'll scale down. Talking about mm-hmm. how much he scaled up, I'm sure he'll scale down and take more of a back seat. I'm kind of wondering what the lowest, like, what's the lowest output? What's the most compromised defensively iteration of him that is going to that he's going to accept? You know, because mm-hmm. uh, I mean, he's going to be able to hit open threes. I would imagine. I, you just you're not going to see as much of him bending the defense off the bounce. Obviously, we'll see some of the the transition stuff start to dwindle a little bit. Um, I still think he'll be a pretty capable pick-and-roll passer. You're just not going to see as much. I, I think like the rim pressure might be the thing that deflates some of his effectiveness, don't you think? Yeah, I think I, th- I think him as a as a passer off the roll is going to be really interesting, like kind of being like one of those short roll fours because he's always going to have that touch around the rim now, right? Um, and he could kind of just make reads from there, kind of like the way a Bam Adebayo type of player does right right now. And I think we'll probably, like we've been waiting for this, but he'll probably go a little bit more into his Carl Malone era as well, just like kind of putting pressure on teams like by posting up. And like, that's actually one thing that was, that I noticed How dare you compare years. him to Carl Malone on any level? Well, first of all, I just kind of feel like I need to go. I'm, I need to go like <laughs> pray the road. I'm gonna light a candle at a Catholic church, <laughs> burn, it, burn, burn some incense. Um, but you know, he uh, in his Cleveland years, one thing that changed uh, was he attacked a lot more from the left side of the court, which is always where he's been at his best. Mm-hmm. And I could see him more just going towards that, like, hey, this is where I'm most efficient as he stops being a ball handler. Like, hopefully at some point the Lakers get, you know, a point guard that can, you know, like will be willing to be a setup man for him. Um, He could just kind of age into that and maybe not necessarily be like the same high usage guy he is right now. But I don't know. It could be it'll be interesting to see. I always feel like he likes the left side. I know. I mean, this is true of a lot of players, but I think he just he has such a laser accuracy with his right hand passing. I feel like that's like a mm. big reason why that the left side of the court works so well for him. You know, and I, I think I think that's why his ability to like flip the floor like with skip passes. Yeah, I think that's going to be a thing that'll stay valuable for him for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it should be interesting. The last thing I think is just the overall durability. And I, I, we were talking about, we've, I feel like the Spolster thing has been a nice sort of like narrative spine for this conversation is that mm-hmm. like he just had a curiosity throughout the throughout the throughout his time in the league. And it was like obvious that he was preparing for later. You and I have had a lot of like laughing conversations about like Luca and maybe even Zion, like the next generation has learned a lot from him. You were in, and also that like uh, a person they were talking about tidiness that like LeBron's really tidy and that that's mm-hmm. a reflection of and uh, I was asking you I was like I feel like uh, I feel like I could guess whether or not Siri is a tidy person I don't know she sort of dodged the question but uh, I know I can tell you I'm not I don't know mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm very inconsistent I have I have mo- like right now everything around me is pretty clean but I have moments where it's just oof, like things are not good I'm just looking around my apartment right now right now it's pretty clean um, okay. But yeah, Spolster was talking about how, you know, how you do everything, how you do anything is how you do everything is what he said. Um, And he talks about how, you know, in Miami, you're not allowed to have a messy locker. They feel like your workspace should be clean, that you shouldn't have all of like the, the things that you collect over the year, over the season, like always in front of you. It feels very like feng shui. Um, 
but yeah, so he, apparently LeBron, like the first time that he, he saw LeBron, like as a member of the, he, he walked into the locker room and LeBron was like folding his clothes. And so it was like, okay, like he's already like on this page and he was already like starting to do some of the stuff with like his body maintenance, like with his sleep, with like just the nutrition and stuff that has now become like more regularized. Like guys are tracking their own health, nutrition, sleeping patterns, all that stuff way, way more. Um, and it's become kind of regular for guys to do that. And also like the, you know, when young players get to Miami, they always ask, they always ask like, you know, what was LeBron's routine? Um, and, but the, the thing that was really interesting about it was just, and this, this, this is basically part and parcel of the same thing because it just has to be boring to do that stuff every day. It just like, I, that's how I would imagine it. I'm not a very consistent person though. So like, you know, like LeBron's a Capricorn. That's just, these are very Capricorn-y tra- traits. Yeah, I know you're pissed right now. You, I know, but I'm going to keep it going. You don't even get to, you don't even get to, what are we doing? LeBron is a Capricorn to the core. He is like, he's incredibly organized uh, and consistent. Uh, and I get ganged up just, on on this show with the, the astrology stuff. I just want to say. <laughs> I um, I'm going to ask LeBron his moon and rising, uh, next Lakers press conference. And I'll probably have my credential revoked after that. But, um, he, uh, he is someone who has not gotten bored of the process. Like that's one thing that Spo gets into is just that he, you know, throughout all of these changes in the league, he's always been curious when he sees another player pull off a move. He, he's always said like, Hey, like what, how did he do that? And how can I do that? Yeah. I think that, I would be curious to see Kareem was extremely meticulous, like he an extremely meticulous personality that like I always I th- I made a video about Kareem where I was joking about like he was like the Andy Dufresne of the of, of the NBA. Now you've seen Shawshank Redemption, surely. Yes. Okay. Well, they were just talking about geology, basically pressure and time like that. Like I think LeBron has that, too. I, I think that like attention to process and a thing that like. And I think this is visible in his playmaking and stuff like that is that like he does have he understands the 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 fact that a player can be a conduit in a good in a good flowing offense. LeBron can shift and be and be a dominant score if he needs to be. But I think if you if you think about like the legacy that he's left in the NBA, I hope that what you mentioned is true about like young players coming in that like the curiosity, the the attitude of like, uh, and I was telling you, this is something that I really want to impress on my son when he starts to get older is that like, I think like how much time is spent in viewing it through the NBA lens, how much time is spent by players, good players, even wasted because they have something that works and their, their resistance to adding things, you know, Mm -hmm. I think the best players add things and they, they have like a humility about like, because the longer that you spend, Thinking that you know something when you actually don't, like if you're quicker to to admit your ignorance on something, the faster that you're going to know it. You know what I mean? Like you don't mm-hmm. go into things knowing everything at the beginning. So I just think that like LeBron's willingness to embrace that part of basketball, it's I'm not going to say it's a miracle, but I, I mean, I think that like if you look at how he went from we ex- this guy is like cover of Slam, Sports Illustrated. He's the chosen one. He's King James. The 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 fact that we went from there to here where he's mm-hmm. breaking the points record, um, yeah. I think I think that's a major factor. Other than being six nine two forty and, and incredible hand eye coordination and the best ath- one of the best athletes ever. Other than that, Other we've had things, a lot yeah. of those. No, I, th- I think that's yeah. a that's a great point because you would think with all of that hype coming into the league that this would be the like 
a lot of people would come in and feel so much pressure. Like they have to already have been arrived and been fully formed by the time they got into the league and which, you know, to his credit in a lot of ways he was, um, but would feel that sense of, I already need to know everything. So I can't possibly be ignorant about anything because that would be like, that would be me not living up to expectations. That would be like dangerous to some extent, you know, at least, at least in, in like, I, th- I find that, you know, as, as, as I get older, I I feel like one thing I've realized about most people is that like the battle is really in our minds. So if you feel insecure in some way, if you feel pressure in some way it's all internalized and it's all about you convincing yourself that you're already good enough to live up to those expectations and when you're in that mode of things it's really difficult to actually just let go and accept what you don't know and have that curiosity like curiosity is something that i think it's it's a muscle that you have to kind of build over time but it's also something that you're not always going to have in every moment of your life. You're not not necessarily going to have it in your insecure moments. You're going to kind of go more into that mode of like tunnel vision and, and just trying to do things the way that you've always done them. And I think you see players and people, everyone do that at different points in their life. And the fact that LeBron, like every juncture in his career, like even after the most like devastating junctures in his career has come back and just, evolved it just I think probably like speaks to his I don't know his mental clarity or something mm. like I don't have the word for it but it's it's incredible well how many points away is he I think we're uh, like at this date that we're recording this it's he didn't play last night no okay. he didn't play last night so he's 117 points away uh Vegas has the odds at him it happening on the seventh I really hope it happens on the seventh and the ninth because uh it, it'll be at home and I'll get to see it I'm just so oh. excited to be able to like witness a moment like that oh my god didn't even mean oh. to say witness but yeah it's just it's <laughs> this is really cool man <laughs> this is a really cool moment in NBA history I'm so excited mm-hmm. that we get to experience it I'm so excited that we got to talk about it for this long like we've gone so long on this podcast today but I think it's just because <laughs> we couldn't help it I'm just yeah. I'm so hyped I'm so hyped up about this this is just so cool yeah and, and in a way I've you know LeBron's just like a little older than me and so I've kind of I've talked about how like I got into this it's interesting your your markers like you were talking about that like that era of basketball was your big bang you know like my big bang was like the dream the original dream team which is like i was into basketball pretty young but Mm -hmm. lebron and i being like a sort of in proximity to age uh it's just been cool and i do frequently think to myself whenever whenever i feel like man i like might have to stop playing myself i'm Mm -hmm. like well lebron's still going i was like it's a sliding scale but uh i can find an excuse to drag my ass out there and play a little more but i i'm excited about it too it's been he's he's one of the more he he deserves uh, what he's done for the sport. Uh, you know, I know I know we have all the, like we we make I make fun of the corny shit he says too. I make fun of the fact that he seems to always be starting books. Uh, he's a dad. <laughs> he's definitely a dad. Um, he is but LeBron, a dad. LeBron's evolution has been I- incredible and great for the sport, and it's been it's exciting. I hope you get to witness it. Like I, I hope uh, that's going to be an electric moment. Like uh, to see. I assume Kareem will be there. You know, it's going to be. That's gonna be appointment television. Like you're gonna you're gonna need to be watching that night. I hope he stays healthy, knock on wood, and I'm I'm really excited about it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I hope it happens. <laughs> it could I mean, either way, when it happens, it's gonna be special. Uh and you know, we're gonna be watching. I'm sure everybody's gonna be watching. Maybe we'll talk about it again. Um We will, sir. Either we're way, gonna talk if not, about it we'll again. uh we'll see. We'll we'll talk to all of you guys next week. Kyle, I will talk to you. Well, I'll probably talk to you very soon, but I'll talk probably. to you on the air a week from now. 
Uh, thank you, as always, for being here. Thank you, Chris Sutton, for producing. And also, guys, we're going to have some great LeBron content coming out. Like in the next in the next like week or so uh i'm really excited about it we've got a lot of a lot of a lot of great writers cooking up some great stuff so keep your eyes on the site also we're doing a live show in salt lake city at all-star oh, yes. weekend so yes. Jarrett and i both will be there logan um kevin koc is going to be there uh who else we uh, i don't want to forget uh michael pina is going to be there was will be there too yeah. will be there too yeah so yeah big panel so come out and see us yeah come out and see us at saturday night if you are in uh in salt lake city at the time uh we would love to meet you right on This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.